is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 27 through 38. I'll give you guys just a couple of minutes to, to get there. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do, you, what do you seek, and why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Please be seated. Things up a bit, okay? <laughs> um, I had that passage read because it's going to tie in to our text from Acts chapter 10. Let's pray before we open up God's Word. Father, God, we've come together on a Sunday because we're exhorted not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we're to exhort one another. We're to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Father, you have directed Pastor Dan to go through the book of Acts. Lord, we're learning a lot about how the church was growing. And Father, we know that you want North Valley Bible Church to grow. We believe that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the teaching that you have put in the book of Acts chapter 10, in John chapter 4, that, God, that you will stir us up to love and good deeds, that you will stir our hearts to share the Word of God with people that you have providentially prepared beforehand to hear your message. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the theme this morning is that God has prepared listeners and he's seeking prepared messengers. Prepared messengers, that's you and I. And God is seeking to use us to impact lost people for the kingdom of heaven. Who would have ever thought that the Messiah was going to go into a Samaritan village, which was taboo, speak to a woman, which was taboo, and speak to a prostitute that was taboo? That's the last thing that the apostles ever thought that Jesus was going to do. 
And yet Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus knew that providentially, at noon, a woman was going to be at that well who desperately needed living water. And Jesus starts a conversation with her. This woman had been prepared by God for this moment in history. And it didn't just impact her life. She went into the entire village and he told his disciples to lift up your eyes. Look, you've entered into somebody else's labors. The harvest is white and I'm sending you out as labors into God's field. We are co-labors together with God in this whole endeavor of personal evangelism. It's exciting to know this morning that you are not alone in this command to take the gospel to lost people. But this is God's plan. It is God who is the harvester. He is the Lord of the harvest. When Jesus looked on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he looked on them as sheep having no shepherd. And this is what he said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. God is the one who is orchestrating the salvation of people. He is preparing listeners for you and I. You know what he needs? He needs for us to go and to speak the truth. Jesus called Peter as a fisherman. And Peter was a slow learner. He was there at the city of Sychar. He saw this conversation. He wanted to ask Jesus, what are you doing talking to this woman? He brought him some lunch and Jesus says, I've got food that you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. About 15 years later, Peter is hungry again and he's wanting a lunch in Acts chapter 10. And he's hungry and he's about ready to go prepare himself a meal. And God is saying, Peter, I've got food for you that you don't even know about. And this food is what you would consider unclean. I want you to start eating with Gentiles. And Peter says, not so, Lord. When we say not so, Lord, you know what we're saying in essence? We're saying, God, I want to stay in my comfort zone. I don't want to move out of my comfort zone. I've got my plans. I'm going to do it my way. And I've got my agenda. And the Lord says, I want to provoke this church this morning. And he wants to provoke me to get out of my comfort zone. To do things that are unheard of and unparalleled. And Peter was about to embark on something that was unparalleled in the history of the New Testament church. He was going to cross those ethnic and cultural barriers that were taboo. It took him almost 15 years to get the idea, and Jesus had been modeling this his entire ministry. People that had been prepared to hear, Jesus was willing to go to. Zacchaeus, we all know the little story of that short guy. He had heard about Jesus. 
He was being drawn to Jesus. He wanted to know more about Jesus. And so Jesus providentially walks by the tree and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house today. Zacchaeus found salvation. Here was a prepared man. And Jesus was the prepared messenger to tell him about Christ. I want to tell you a story about a missionary, Adirinam Judson, probably mispronouncing his first name. But Adirinam went to Burma in 1817. He had prepared all of his life to be a missionary to the Burmese. That's the one thing that he thought about. I want to see these people converted to Christianity. So he spent hours studying the Burmese language. He would don himself in yellow Burmese robes so that he would look like a Buddhist monk and a spiritual teacher so that he could attract an audience. And he would go into the villages day after day after day, week after week after week, Year after year after year, the man was so despondent, so discouraged. He felt like a total failure. Yet God was providentially preparing a people for him to minister to who he had never conceived of. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is an audience that God had been preparing for Peter And Peter had never conceived of going to this audience to preach Jesus Christ to them. Finally, one day, a Burmese monk comes to Adoridum and says, Tell me more about this Christ. After seven years, he had one convert. To keep himself busy so that he didn't feel like he was wasting his time, Adoridum set his task to translate the Bible into the Burmese language. For seven long years, he's been laboring. And this entire time, there was a village group of people called the Karen, lived up in the high mountains in southern Burma. He had no idea that God had been providentially preparing this people for him and the message that he was going to bring. They were called the people of the lost book. They would walk by his house every single day, unbeknownst to him, singing praises to one that they called Yah. Y-W-A is how you spell it. Surprisingly similar to the name of the Jewish Sovereign Lord of the universe. They praised and they prayed to the one true spirit God who would one day send them a foreign messenger who would tell them the message that they needed to hear from the lost book. Or a guy knocks on Adoridum's door and he says, I need to work. He looks at this tough, raw-hide young individual with marks all over his body, beating on him, scars on his back. And he says, what do you do? And he says, I'll do anything. He says, I've got many debts to pay off. Adoram Judson didn't know that this man was a prolific gambler, had ran up debts. People were after him to kill him. He was a thief. He was wanted for over 30 murders in Burma. And Adoram Judson invites him into his home. 
Doesn't know anything about him, but he's from the Karen tribe. He starts to listen and learn the Burmese language. So Adoridam and his team begin to share Christ with this man. He was like parched ground, is the way Judson describes him. Looking for the refreshing rain. And every seed that was planted, it seemed to sprout up instantly. This was the harvest field that Adoram had been praying for. Didn't even realize it. So this one man comes to Christ. They begin to teach him the Bible. And he wants more of the Bible than Adoram can even translate it. So they plan a trip down to southern Burma. Ko is his name, and he says, I know that this is the place where I grew up, and my villages, they need to hear this message. And he begs Judson to baptize him and to take him along. So they get down to southern Burma, and he disappears. He scales mountain range after mountain range, fords rushing streams to get into these villages. Village after village wants to know more about the Messiah, the Savior, who's described in this book of dying in our place. He goes back to Judson and his missionary team, and he pleads with them to come back into the hill country. When they go back, literally thousands, I mean thousands upon thousands, are coming to Christ by faith. You see, sometimes we get in our minds that this is what God is going to do, This is what God wants to do in our lives, and we are totally unaware that God is providentially preparing people to hear the message about Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing is that God doesn't just do this for some people. I believe that the Bible teaches that God is doing this for all people. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a devout man. He was a man that feared God. He was a man that gave alms regularly to the people and a man who prayed. Cornelius was responding to the light that God had given him. And I believe there's people all around us. If we will just but open our mouths and begin to share that God has providentially prepared them to hear the message that we are going to take to them. This past week, I was out jogging, and I went up to a canal road above Ben Loman High School. I saw the old coach that I used to work with, and I would often go with him on trips, and I would share my faith in Jesus Christ with him. And he knew that I was a Bible teacher here at Capstone Classical Academy. And so the first thing he asked me, how's your Bible teaching? And I said, well, unfortunately, they've closed the school down, but I'm still teaching the Bible. And he says, Mr. Cross, he says, I wish you were at Ben Loman High School teaching the kids the Bible here. He says, in fact, I wish you were teaching my son the Bible. All these other runners begin to perk their ears up, and they begin to pellet me with question after question about what I believe the Bible said. I finally boiled the conversation down that Jesus Christ is risen. He's a living Savior. He died in your place, and he's alive to give you justification. Now, I had not planned that conversation that morning. I got up there. In fact, I saw the coach up there, and I wanted to avoid him because I knew I wanted to get my run in. I said, if I go up there, I'm never going to get my run in. I'm going to get into a conversation with him. Woe is me. God had to prick my heart and say, I need to go up and talk to that man. He's a lost man who needs Jesus. 
And sometimes God needs to prick us and get us out of our comfort zones so that we will talk to people. I don't know what God's been doing in his heart. I talked to Rick last week, and he was sharing the gospel with a woman. I don't know if it was his massage therapist or what it was, but he began to share the gospel, and she turned to him, and she says, I've been wanting to know about these things for a long time. Tracy went in to have her fingers manicured. And the young woman who was doing the manicure began to ask her questions about Jesus. God had prepared her in advance. God is preparing people to hear the message. And when people respond to the light of the gospel, you know what God is going to do? He has promised to give them more light. I want to submit to you this morning that there are three things that God has done for every lost person. God has put eternity in every man and woman and child's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in man's heart. Everything's beautiful in its time, but it fades pretty quickly. Just look at me. I don't know if I was ever handsome. Tracy thought I was about 37 years ago, apparently. Because I went to the village of Fort Yukon, and there was nothing but alcoholics and teethless men. And she saw this young guy who's got all of his teeth, and he's not an alcoholic. And she says, I think I'm going to marry that guy. <laughs> God had providentially prepared my wife for me. But you look at me today, and I've got receding gums. <laughs> I don't want, don't want to go into too, too much. I have to wear glasses. I walk with a limp. Everything is beautiful in its time. It fades, and God has designed that. Why? Because God has put eternity in man's heart. Everything that's beautiful in its time, when you grab it, it's like grabbing the wind. You have it for a short time, and then it's gone. And God has done that because He wants to draw people to Himself. The other thing that God has done for every single individual that's undeniable, and I talked about it with those boys at Ben Lomond, I told them, look at those mountains, guys. I said, they didn't create themselves. Matter is not eternal, folks. This universe has not been here forever. And you don't have to be a deep scientist to figure that one out because the second law of thermodynamics tells us that everything that's made of matter is in a continual decline and decay. If matter in this universe has been here forever, then it would have been infinitely random and broken down by now, and we wouldn't be here. There has to be something outside of matter to describe and to explain the physical universe that we live in. And it's an eternal spirit God who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, and who's all-loving. For what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it in them, clearly seen through creation, His invisible attributes, even understanding His eternal power and Godhead. And what's the result? All mankind are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Ecclesiastes 3.11 God has put these things in people's hearts and minds so that He might draw people to Himself. I believe, John 4, 6, that no man can come unto the Father unless the Father draws him. 
But that doesn't mean that God has to irresistibly, against your will, draw him. No, it means God has used eternality to draw us. God has used creation to draw us. God has used our conscience to draw us. And God has used the gospel to draw us. God has used our conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14. Even the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things that are contained in the law, showing the written law in their hearts, their conscience, either accusing them or excusing them. Everyone has a conscience. You look at all these things that are happening in America, and those people who are on the far left, and those people who are on the far right, they don't realize how close they are when they all agree that human dignity is important, that equality is important, that justice is important. Why do we know that? Regardless whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or a Communist, how do we all know that? Because God has written it in our hearts. Cornelius was drawn to the one true God because someone had planted the seed of Judaism in his heart. He was attracted to the Jewish religion, but he needed a prepared messenger. And sometimes God providentially just needs to shake us up to get us moving out of our comfort zone. Peter should have known better, shouldn't he? He probably remembered another centurion who Jesus went to his house. And that centurion, before Jesus even got there, said, I'm not worthy, Jesus, for you to come under my roof. Just send the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus stopped and he said, I've not seen that kind of faith in Israel. And this is what he said to his 12 Jewish apostles. He says, many are going to come from the east. Many are going to come from the west. And they are going to sit down with Abraham in the kingdom. And the children of the kingdom, the Jewish nation, they're going to be cast out. And I'm going to draw all these people to myself. Jesus said in John chapter 12, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So you might think, ah, oh, Patrick, I'm really not good at being an evangelist. I'm really not good at sharing the gospel. Here's the good news. God has already gone before you to start the work. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, one man plants, another man waters, but it is God who gives the increase. Therefore, we are co-laborers with him. You are God's field. You are God's building. You see, this whole enterprise of evangelism, it's not our idea. This is God's idea. He is the author of it. He's the originator of it. And he just invites us to participate with him. In Acts chapter 10, you know who the hero is? It's not Cornelius. It's not Peter. It's not the angel. It's Jesus Christ who's doing it all. He's drawing Cornelius to himself. He's opening up Peter's eyes, and it's Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who's bringing conviction into his mind. Now, where do we start? I think it would be a good idea to start with prayer. 
You see, Cornelius, that's what he was doing. He was praying. In fact, he was fasting until the ninth hour when God revealed to him and an angel, you need to send for Peter. What was Peter doing? Providentially, at the same time when they are sending messengers. Look at with me in Acts chapter 10. Verse 9, and the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. On the next day, while people are coming to his house, while they are drawing near to the city, Peter is praying providentially. I think the next thing that God needed to do, he needed to remind him through direct revelation. Now this morning, you and I don't need some kind of vision from God to tell us to get involved in evangelism. We have got this book that tells us that we are to be involved in evangelism. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is as though God was beseeching us through Christ Be ye reconciled to God. I don't need a vision this morning. I don't need some kind of mystical appearance of an angel to tell me what to do. Why did Peter then? I'm not sure. Except for the fact that Peter was an apostle. And I'm not. Peter was to establish a a Gentile Pentecost. This was to initiate the beginning of the church. If God was going to move into the Gentile territory, into Gentile neighborhoods, he was going to use an apostle to start this movement. And so he needs to take Peter, the key apostle, and wake him up and provoke him to get moving, Peter. It's time to go. Sometimes you and I need the same thing, don't we? We just need to be a little bit stirred up, and say, it's time to go. It's time to do something. I'll tell you about this guy who wanted to do something. He felt like he just wanted to fly. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but just kind of lighten things up and get you back into, to, to give your mind sort of a, a recess here. But there's this guy, he said, he, he wanted to fly. And he says, you know what, it's time for me to fly. He says, I, I, I went into the military so that I could fly. And I, I was not allowed to. This story's got nothing to do with my text, but it's a funny story, so I'm going to tell it to you. It's a true story, actually. So he, he wasn't allowed to fly because of his bad eyesight. And uh, so he decides, I'm going, to, I'm going to study to be a pilot. And he, he can't pass any of the exams. Now he's 70 years old. And he's never given up the dream to fly. He's I still, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to get off the ground. So he goes into this aviation building, and he asks them if they have weather balloons. And he says, yes, we do, but we only have a, several of them because they're, they're very expensive. So he ends up, he orders 45 weather balloons. Things are huge. Then, this is a true story. This is in Southern California. <laughs> I'm making this up. Then he goes and he buys all these propane, no, I'm sorry, helium tanks. 
He gets a chain, and he's sitting in his lawn chair, and he chains his lawn chair to the bumper of his truck. He takes these helium balloons, 45 of them, these great huge weather balloons, and starts to fill them up. He's got no plan except for, I'm going to get up somehow. I'm going to do something. He wants to fly. So he starts to fill them, and it starts to, I mean, his chair's now off the ground. He's, the only thing that's holding him down is that chain. He's tugging on it. So he tells his grandson, go get my BB gun. So he's sitting with a BB gun on his lap. He says, you know, if, if I get up there too high, I'll have my BB gun, and I can start shooting some of these weather balloons, and I'll come back down safely. Well, he tells his grandson to unlock that chain, and whoosh, he, he shoots up like a rocket. He doesn't go up just a little bit. He goes up to 10,000 feet. He's terrified. And he's sitting there with a BB gun on his lap. A pilot's flying into Los Angeles airport, and he reports a guy sitting in a lawn chair with 45 weather blues sitting with a BB gun in his lap. He's up there for hours. He's afraid to shoot those, those, those balloons because he doesn't know if he's going to come spiraling down. Finally, he comes down to 5,000 feet, and they send a helicopter up. And the helicopter has a hard time getting to it because it's blowing him all over. So they go way above him, and they drop a line down to him, and he fastens the belt. They take him back to the Los Angeles airport. And they arrest him, and they're, they're taking him off. And one of the officers says, what were you doing? And he says, we, oh, a guy just can't sit around and do nothing. <laughs> he says, I wanted to fly, and I just can't sit around and do nothing. And I guess if I'm going to use this in some way to illustrate my point, folks, evangelism, it should be in our hearts. And we just can't sit around. We've got to be involved. We've got to be doing it. We've got to see the need and the necessity. And Peter wasn't seeing it, so God gives him this vision. And he tells him, Peter, get up. Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm not doing that. And God says to him, Peter, what I have cleansed, don't you call common and don't you call it unclean. There are people out there who heed and need the message, Peter, and you for 12 to 15 years have only been preaching and going to the Jewish community. There are people that are prepared to hear about Christ. So what does Peter do? He meditates deeply on this vision. He meditates deeply on God's revealed truth. You know what God will use for you this morning? I believe this with all my heart. When you start digging into God's truth and God's word, He's going to begin to unroll it and unfold it for your mind, and you're going to begin to understand your place in His kingdom and in His eternal plan. That's exactly what happened to Peter. Look with me in Acts chapter 10 at a few verses. This was done three times. Verse 17, 
Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who sent from Cornelius made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. It was while, notice that participle, while Peter was wondering. I want to understand what God is trying to reveal to me. That's the way we approach God's Word. God, I am filled with wonder. I am filled with awe. I want to behold wondrous things from thy law, God. Peter is saying, I want to know what this truth that you're trying to communicate with me. Look at verse 19. While Peter thought about the vision. The word thought is a tri-compound word in the original language. That's probably not right. Tri-compound is a double compound. It has two prepositions before the word thought. It means to think it through. It means to think it inside and out. He was thoroughly meditating on the vision. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, who spoke to him? The Spirit said to him, there's some guys looking for you. As you begin to meditate on the Word of God, it is the Spirit of God that opens the understanding to your eyes. Continue to look with me at the next verse of understanding that Peter gets in verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 10. Then he said to them, You know how it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company or to go with one of another nation. Here's the key thing. But God has shown me. As he thought about the vision, as he meditated on the vision, as he thought about the vision, he says, now God has shown me that I am to reach out and across to another cultural group that I never thought of reaching out to. I think this message couldn't be more appropriate for our generation. There has never been a time, I think in my lifetime anyway, in American history, when politics and social media is so polarized. And we have thought in our minds as Americans, these are people that God cannot reach. Yesterday I was out running and I saw a, 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 a segment of our population. And as I ran past this segment of our population, I'm not going to go into any details about who they were and what they were like, but I thought in my mind, those people are unreachable. And yet God has put eternity in their hearts. God has put a longing for something in their lives that what they are now doing will never bring them satisfaction. God has given them a moral compass that they are violating. And people know that they are violating God's moral laws. God has displayed His power to them just as much as He has to anybody else. And Paul writes the Corinthians, and he describes this whole group of people extortioners, thieves, liars, drunkards, homosexuals. 
And then he says something marvelous. He says, and such were some of you. God needs to bring down those barriers in our minds and understand that God is preparing people for prepared messengers. And the beauty is all we have to do is open our mouth. That's all God is asking of us. Yesterday I went to have my car inspected to see if the admissions were okay. And I went with a track in my hand because I knew that all I have to do is go because God is telling me to go. And that God may, in fact, be preparing that mechanic to hear the gospel. And it's not me that's going to convert him. It's not you that's going to convert him. It is God the Holy Spirit who is working with us. All we have to do is open our mouth. Turn to Acts chapter 10 and look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I want to just stop right there because I want to draw your attention to verse 44. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to be a great apologist. We don't have to have all the answers. Peter told them that Jesus is Lord of all. God anointed Jesus who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. His miracles authenticated his message. They hung him on a cross. He was raised again the third day. And God has ordained him to judge the quick and the dead. And the Holy Spirit did the work of conviction. The Holy Spirit did the work of regeneration. I believe there are people in your life that you don't even realize that God is preparing them and all they need is a prepared messenger to take them the good news. Let's close with prayer. Father, God, it is our desire to see North Valley Bible Church grow by conversion, by people coming into the kingdom of heaven. Father, there are people in our lives that we believe today, this morning, that you are providentially preparing them. But just like Cornelius, they need a messenger and they need a message. Lord, you had to get Peter out of his comfort zone. God, I'm asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit to stir us this morning to move us out of our comfort zone, believing that you providentially are the author of salvation, that you are going to work in us and through us, and that the Holy Spirit is the power of God to bring about the understanding of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Father, may we go confidently with your message, knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone who believes, not only to the Jew first, but also for every Gentile. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.